Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. The message that we have today deals with life. The matter of life, death, and the heart is the name of the sermon. But before we get into that, um, I just want to take a moment to pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you are so gracious, so merciful, so loving, so kind. God, you and your compassion toward us have never failed. Lord, for so long you held your arms out open, stretched wide, when we weren't even looking for you. And we counted a privilege that now that we found you, that we can know you and know you even the more through your word. So I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity, not only to share this message with your people, but also for what this message will do in me. I pray, Father, that none of us would be the same. I thank you that the heart of every person here is open, that the eyes of their understanding is open to you, and that you would enlighten them, that you would flood them with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Lord. He is worthy. So today we are going to talk about the matter of life, death, and the heart. Um, this is the first lesson in what Dave and, um, and Pastor Dwayne decided to call the confession series. All of a sudden there was a series around just a desire. I said, hey, honey, I think I got something about confession that I'd like to share. And all of a sudden there's a series being promoted on social media. <laughs> That's all right. I'll take that too. Um, so today we're going to talk about the matter of life, death, and the heart. So um, a couple of scriptures that are familiar. Um, we'll just go ahead and start with that from the top. This is Psalm 45 and 1. And it says this, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. Some translations say a ready writer. This is the English Standard Version. So if you, you may know a version that says my tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. But it's the same thing. There's this idea of the heart overflowing and it coming out of the tongue. All right, and then here's another scripture that Oh, I don't see it here. Uh, yes, here's another scripture that I know we are a lot that we're a lot of us are familiar with. We've heard it. Um, well, the second part of it, maybe this part you you haven't heard as often. But this is Proverbs 18, 20, and 21, and it says this: From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's reverse that. I mean, let's rehearse that. Say it again. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. So what does that mean? That whatever comes out of your mouth, you're satisfied with. Well, how is that? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Now... <laughs> There's no qualifier here. Whatever is coming out, you're going to eat it. Whatever is coming out, you're going to eat it. So today we have a matter of life and death. What will you choose? Truth was here a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about choosing life, about, about the decision that Adam and Eve had in the garden, whether to choose life or to choose death, and how that choice is persistent um, to this day and in every day of our lives. We have an opportunity to choose life or to choose death. But no matter what you choose, you're going to eat it. Whether you choose intentionally or whether you just, by default, it is what it is. It's coming out. You're going to eat it. What you become satisfied or even dissatisfied or unsatisfied with is because of the fruit of what's coming out of your mouth. So how do the things that come out of our mouths, that proceed from our mouths, how do they get there? Well, that's where the matter of the heart comes in. So to outline that a little bit more... <laughs> this illustration. I don't know if you guys, so I work in marketing in my nine to five, you know, content web, all that stuff, digital marketing. And so I love examples that are, um, 
always in media and TV, little catchphrases, things that get us to remember things. So y'all remember this long ago. You know, Samuel L. Jackson and others that Capital One used for this campaign, what's in your wallet? So I want you to think about this. What's in your heart? What's in your tongue? What's in your mouth? What's in your heart? It's really one and the same. It should be. Because the word of God says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you know, Jesus himself said that. We're going to get to that in a minute. I want to talk about today about confession. This, is what, this series is all about confession, what it is, what it isn't. And I wanted to start with the definition. Um, and I put those two scriptures out there in advance to be thinking about this. Heart, mouth, there's a connection. So and when we talk about confession, I don't want to make this generalization, so I'm just going to be transparent and talk about me. Um, most often when I think about confession, or I've thought about confession in the past, I always thought about somebody admitting a wrong. And I've seen a lot of television crime dramas and, and many movies where either a criminal refuses to confess that they've done something wrong or either, you know, there's this faction of people that are trying to get this innocent person to confess that they've done something wrong. Even now, I don't know what he's looking at. I need to um, figure it out um, and, and investigate a little bit more. But Destin has been going around the house saying, confess, confess, confess. So I don't know if it's some cartoon or what. But the, the connotation has always been, oh, you're admitting that you've done something wrong. But confession in the biblical definition and even um, in the English um, that, that we know, there's more than one definition. But um, the biblical definition is this, um, to speak the same thing. It, that is literally what it means. It comes from the Greek word homologio. Um, we know logo or lego, logos is what we're most familiar with of that, um, that word. It means um, word or to speak. So lego is the verb version of logos, to speak. So homo, a homo, same, to speak. So to speak the same thing. That's what confession means. So biblical confession is simply to assent, accord, or agree with the word of God. That's literally what it means um, in the Greek. So there's some uh, different ways that it's used in scripture. So to de confess, declare, admit, and those are some uh, scriptures where that word is um, translated from homologio. Um, to confess by way of admitting oneself guilty of what one is accused of. That's my most, you know, the one that I was most familiar with. Um, but in the Bible, it's the, um, the result of an inward conviction. So not just confessing because someone's putting pressure on you. Confess, you know, spraying you with water like the mafia movies that I've seen. But it's because that weight, that burden of sin, that, that, that conviction, I don't want to say guilt as much as this conviction inside of you is making you say what is true. So it's not about admitting right or wrong. It's about saying what is true. It's about agreeing with the word of God. Um, and admit, th in this case, admitting oneself guilty of what you're accused of. Then in th this um, meaning is to declare openly by way of speaking out freely, such as confession being the effect of deep conviction of facts. So when we think about Romans 10, where we're going next, that's what that definition means, to declare openly by way of speaking out freely. So basically a profession, to profess your faith <clears throat> is confession. Um, another definition in, that's used in the Bible or that's translated in the Bible is to confess by way of celebrating with praise. Um, how many know that you can actually confess to the Lordship of, God, Lordship of God simply by praising him? And we do it all the time during praise and worship. That is a confession of faith that we are, um, we are fixing our lips and fixing our hearts to praise the one who is worthy. That's a confession of who he is and of his worth. And then the last definition in the Bible, um, it, confession is translated um, to promise. So, uh, but, but for the most part, the root of the word is to say the same, to speak the same thing, to agree, to assent with the word of God, with who God is, with what God says. So I want to go to Romans 10 because when we talk about biblical confession, I think a lot of people have heard different things. How many have heard, hey, confess, confession brings possession or, con or knows anything about biblical confession? By a show of hands. How many people have never heard of this before in your life? And be honest. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> well, this is a good place to start and a good place to learn. Because where we're going to start today is the, our number one confession. Our number one confession began when each of us 
confess that Jesus is Lord. So this here, I believe, is the model for what confession should be throughout all of our eternal, well, our born again lives once we um, confess the Lord Jesus. So this is Romans 10, starting with verse 9, I mean, excuse me, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live them. And I want to take a step back. So what Paul was discussing here is that there's righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Jews lived righteousness by the law. In other words, they were made righteous. They were okay with God as long as they did what the law said to a T. Um, th during that time, that is um, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah. So if they, if they did everything that was in, that, in the scripture, then they were righteous. But Paul and the, the disciples, the apostles, they're all introducing by preaching Jesus that you no longer need the righteousness by law, but you need the righteousness um, by faith. So that's where, where we're starting. So when he says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, there are people who are like, well, well it can't be that simple to just say um, th that I believe and, and I'm saved. Jesus, has, Jesus himself has to come here or, or, or he has to come here um, in order to accept my confession of faith. But verse 8 says, but what does it say? It being the righteousness of um, faith, righteousness by faith. What does righteousness by faith say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How many people believe that that happened for them? When you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you were saved. It's a done deal, right? It happened. Undeniable, right? So that's the way that this works. You didn't just say something mindlessly, but it started here. It was based on a conviction. It was based on what was already happening in your heart. And out of the abundance of that belief, out of the abundance of that changed heart, you said, you know what? Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe that he lived a sinless life. I believe that he died a bloody death that he did not deserve on my behalf and on the behalf of so many, whoever would call upon his name. I believe that. And it happens in the heart and then it comes out as your confession. And then as a result of that, you are safe. There's nothing else you need to do. There's some things you need to do to walk it out on, on the other side, right? There's, you know, you got to work out and work your salvation with fear and trembling, right? But you don't have to, you're saved by that, by that alone, right? So I want to, again, this, this idea of confession and of, of your words having power. Somebody wants to know, why do words matter? Why do words matter? Why does any word matter with this confession thing? Does it matter what we say? It does matter what we say. Because God did it. Let's look at Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. God did it. God did it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you see, we have this model that this entire universe and creation, everything that we behold with our eyes, that was not made by human hands, it was made at a word from God. It became at a word from God. It came into existence at God's word. God said, let there be, and it was. So we have this model. We know that our words have power. Our words tell who, what, and whose we are. We have this tendency in Christendom to compartmentalize things. 
we compartmentalize our Christian walk. We're one way at work and then we're one way at home and then we're one way at school. You know, it just kind of happens that way. I don't think anybody is intentional like, I'm going to have my church phase and then I'm going to have my work phase and I'm going to have my club phase. Uh-oh, we're going to pray for you. We're going to get you on this altar. But there is a tendency to compartmentalize. Some of it is based on society, right? I can't go to work and say, in the name of Jesus, you know, when they're cutting up. I can't lay hands and, you know, do all of that. I mean, I can, I can be praying in tongues under my breath and get some oil and just rub it under my boss's desk. But I can't be overt. And, you know, and so there, in some ways, society kind of makes us that way. But I think we tend to compartmentalize just naturally. Okay, so um, this is what it is here. This is what it is there. But I want to challenge you today that we can't compartmentalize our faith. It's holistic. We can't compartmentalize our words. They're holistic. It's all tied to who we are in Christ. So confession is not you in a corner saying over and over, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. Your confession is what you say and do every day of your life. It's what you say. Now, you should have a time of, in your devotion where you're saying the word, but you should be speaking the word over your life all the time. You have a choice every time you open your mouth. We have a choice every time we open our mouths. We can either speak life over something or to something, or we can speak death over something or to something. So confession is what you say all the time. It's what you say to yourself. It's what you say to your friends. It's what you say to your husband or wife. It's what you say to your children. It's what you say about what you believe. In literate societies, tongues include hands that write, type, paint, or sign. And that's not me. That's John Bloom from Desiring God. He's a writer there. But it, in other words, wherever people can read and write, your tongue includes your hands. So whatever you're typing on social media, whatever comment, you either choose death or choose life. Whatever you're, whatever you're writing down, whatever, it's always a choice that you're making, whether you know it or not. So don't compartmentalize confession to simply, okay, this is something I need to do. I need to write a confession for my life, and um, I'm going to have a confession that partners with this, this prayer that I'm believing God for, and then that's it. It's beyond that. It, there's, there's, there's some good, there's a lot of good in having that form of devotion where you're praying and then you have a written confession or a confession, you know, some scriptures that you're speaking over your life. But you can do that and then go out here in your respective realms of influence or where you are influenced, whether it's work and your families, and you can totally undo everything you did during that 30 minutes because you're not agreeing with it. You're not agreeing with it. Confession is what you say all the time, not just what you say during prayer time. God's creative power through his words formed the universe, as we saw in Genesis 1. What we see throughout the Bible is that God never does anything without saying it first. So the more you speak the word, the more you conform to that. The more you speak the word, the more you believe it. And the more you believe the word, the more you speak it. It's like, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. God, God says, and it happens. We read it, we believe that, we say it, and we believe that our words have power. We believe that his word have power, has power. Um, that, that, that his words have power, excuse me. God's creative power through his words formed the universe. Formed the universe. So... Us speaking God's word can form some things in our world, can form everything in our world. Amen. So words are words matter because our words, um, as, as PD has often said, they locate us. Um, we just said they tell who, what and whose we are. But our words also matter because we'll be judged by them. We'll be judged by them. This is Matthew 12. Verse 33 is where we're starting. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? 
for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's kind of heavy, but words matter because we'll be judged by them. You know, when, when I choose to think of the scripture, when I'm thinking about that day when I, you know, see the Lord, and I, I love that scripture, um, you know, that good and faithful servant, and, and that's what I, I think about. I don't want to think about, oh, I'll be judged for my words, but that whole good and faithful servant is also based upon what you said, not just what you did. It's based upon what you've been saying, what you had been saying through life. Were you agreeing with God or were you just praying in your corner and confessing in your corner and then going out here and undoing everything that you said in that 30 minutes? Are you speaking life? Are you speaking? Um, I mean, there's so many scriptures about what we should be saying and not be saying even in conversations. Did you keep your conversations pure? What were you saying? Because every word you'll be held You'll be held accountable for it. So that's why words matter. That's why every word matters. Why? Because what's in our heart is coming out of our mouth. And if you're careless, you know, you don't have to necessarily make an intention to say something mean, but sometimes it just comes out. That's an outflow of your heart. So then that's an indicator that your heart needs some work. Um, if when you're just off, when you totally have no filter and you're off guard, it's just spewing, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's an indicator that, you know, the heart needs to be filled up with something good. So that's why it's important to read the word. That's why it's important to hide the word in our. Right. Because it is possible to use words without faith and conviction. So it works both ways. So. You can say things and be reckless and not think about it and it's just coming out because it's just in there, you know. Um, but then there's also the person whose heart is black but they can say the right things, or so it seems. But God knows the heart and he's not deceived. Um, there's a scripture in Titus 1 and it says this, to the pure, and this is talking about elders and pastors and the qualifications and all that, but it's required of them, but you know, the baseline is, they're just required to be good believers so they could give us something to follow, right? So we, we're, we're held to it too, really, to be honest with you. So to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences, consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So there is a person who can say, I know God, I love God, and say all the right things, but... Their hearts are far from him. Their, their conduct is far from him. So it's possible to use words without faith and conviction. But the way that it's supposed to work, it's supposed to be an outflow. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. Now, people like this, they're going to eventually tell on themselves. But what I'm saying to you is that it's not just about words. It's not just about your tongue. It's not just about your heart. It's all of it working together for your words to have power and for you to have something, for, for your words to create some things in your life. So how is there power in our words? How do words have power? Um, words do have power, but I want to put this before you today. Um, don't think of it all the time so much as words having power, but think of it as power having words. Power has words. This is Hebrews 1. It says this, Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Didn't say the power of his word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So power has words. Power has words. We've been given authority in Christ Jesus. We've been, we sang about the name of Jesus this morning. 
believers authority, we can say some, we can do something, we can do anything in the name of Jesus. We can, we can, in the name of Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus, we proceed on. We have that name. We have the, the we, we, we have the ability to call his name because we believe in it. And we know that his name is the name above every name. We exercise the authority we have as believers by speaking the name of Jesus. We also exercise the authority we have as believers through speaking his word, by saying the same things he said, because Jesus Christ is the high priest of what? The high priest of our confession, the word made flesh. So when we're saying what Jesus is saying, when we're agreeing with what Jesus is saying, it's the power, it's the, it's the word of his power because of his power, not because necessarily of the word itself, but because the power behind the words. Y'all get y'all following with me? I feel like I understand this a lot more than I'm conveying it, but stick with me. When we say the wrong things, we misuse and abuse our authority in agreement with the father of lies. So let me go back. When we say the right things, we use our authority to the glory of the father. When we say the wrong things, we misuse and abuse our authority in agreement with the father of lies. It's so important what we're saying because if you're, for, for instance, let me just give this example. If you're praying about something, I'm like, for instance, oh yeah, I'm praying, I believe in God, um, you know, that, that we're, we're going to buy two cars in March. And then I go right here to my mom, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. Right after I get up all my, off my knees, wrong confession to the glory of the father of lies. Well, I'm just being real. Yeah. Real to the glory of the father of lies. <laughs> So confession, our number one confession is when we were born again. We just talked about that. And, our, and through that, that first confession of the, of the lordship of Jesus and our belief in Christ, then something happened. When we make a confession in faith, something should happen. It might not be immediate, but it's going to happen. And in the meantime, between us speaking it and it happening, the wrong thing to do is to say that it won't happen, to say that it's not going to happen, to say, well, it might not happen. You have to stand firm with what you said, what you believe, what you prayed. That is the key to confession. So what, what does confession do? What does confession do? Anybody heard of that, that title before, Confession Brings Possession? That's like a Norval Hayes book, Confession Brings Possession. So that's for, the, that's for people who are already there. <laughs> but there's some intermediate steps. Um, not, not, and, and I, there are more than three I'm going to bring to you today, but I'm going to highlight three today. Before confession can bring possession, um, the, my first point is this. Confession brings your heart to the forefront. Or rather, um, confession brings your heart to the surface. Confession shows what's really in your heart. What you're saying all the time is what's really in your heart. If you're always complaining, if you, all, you never have any joy, that's what's in your heart. So you need your heart filled up with the right things. And we looked at the, um, and then, okay, well, so Luke, 40, Luke 6, 43, if you can go there. I made it easy on you. You didn't have to open your Bible until this point. Had the scriptures up there. But Luke 6, 43, I think we've already been there, or at least to a version of this today. But I think in the Matthew version of this. Luke 6, 43. If you got it, say, I got it. You need time? Say, hold on. I think that was a hold on. You got it? Okay. Okay. Luke 6, 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And we've said that before, and it was in um, Matthew. This is, the, this is um, Luke's version of the story. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's truly in your heart? What's really in your heart? If, if the overflow of your heart is what's coming out of your mouth, take some time to really just check yourself. These next few days, I know we're on a fast here at KLM, and there's a lot of stuff that starts coming out of you when you start fasting. 
That flesh is like, no, give me a steak. <laughs> Among other things. So there's steak in my heart, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but when you start, what really is it? What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Oh, I don't know what's in my heart, Courtney. Well, let's just listen. Let's just let's take. I'm not going to be the one to do it, you know, because I got my own stuff to deal with. But just, you know, take like an imaginary tape um, recorder with you or even take some voice notes on your phone and just listen to yourself all day long. And if it's not lining up with who you say you are, if it's not lining up with the word of God, boo, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem that needs. I mean, it's got a simple fix. You just got to put the right things in it. You got to be disciplined to put the right things in it. And then the next step from putting the right things in it is to make sure that you are guarding your words, that you're watching your mouth. You know, this tongue, it does all kinds of stuff by itself, even when you're putting the word in your heart. If you're not putting any word, if you're not putting anything in there, if you're not taking care of this heart, if you're not renewing it with the word and with repentance, then just anything could come out. And out of that abundance, that's what the mouth is saying. So that's what's in your heart. What you're saying is in your heart, whether you realize it or not. So we talked about that number one confession, being born again, right? So how is it that our hearts can change and even our minds can change, but our speech doesn't change? How are our words out of sync what is, what is, with what is happening in the rest of us? Oh, I love the Lord. I love to worship. To God be the glory. Shut up! Shut up! Mm -mm. Out of sync. <laughs> out of sync. And I've been tried and tested. I know I got two little ones at home. They running around and they running around here. Y'all know. Well, I need, to, I need to put some stuff in me so that I don't like, you know, I'm all like this with God. Yeah, Lord, I love you. Honey, you better getting on my nerves! What's in my heart? Is that really my king? Is that really my lord? Is that really my husband that I love and honor? Am I really honoring him? Or is it just like, because yeah, I know that's the right thing? No, no, no. So if your heart can change and your mind is changing, why isn't your speech changing? Why aren't the things you're saying to yourself and to other people? Why hasn't it changed? It's, you can't just say the same things you used to say. And I'm not just talking about them cuss words y'all want to hold on to. I know y'all be cussing. I'm not just talking about that. I am, I am talking about that, but I'm not just talking about that. It's going to come out in Jesus' name. Y'all going to get that spirit of cuss off of you. But <laughs> somebody back there like, no, no, never. We going to get you on this altar too. So, <laughs> but it's not just that. It's, it's not just though. It's, it's not just that, but it's. It's, it, but it is that, and it's everything. Can you honor God with your mouth? Can you honor God? Can you honor God by, with your mouth by making sure your heart has a storage that would bring honorable words, that would bring words that give life to you and to others out of your mouth? Do you see the connection? There's an investment you have to make here. There's an investment you have to make here in order for this to come out the right way. It's a continuum. It's like the word, hearing the word, and the word gets in your heart, and then you're speaking the word. Because guess what? You can also speak the word into your heart by, by confessing. Confessing can also put the word in your heart. If you just get this Bible, because you know you ain't got nothing good in your own heart anyway, so you just get the Bible out and start reading it. And then it starts to put the word in your heart. So it's, it's a two-way street. Our words must be in sync with what is happening with the rest of us. If we're growing spiritually, the things we say, our, our speech should be changing. Amen? Amen. So confession reveals the composition of your heart, but it can also compose your heart. So either 
because of the overflow of the word of God and understanding of the word of God in your heart that you're saying the right things. And then when you don't know what to say, you're praying in the spirit or you're reading the word of God. I don't have a Bible up here because I have my notes, but you're reading that Bible in your own hearing and you're reciting it. And that's putting the word in your heart. So eat. So confession, confession can come from here or it can come from the word itself. But if it's coming out of your mouth and going into your heart, um, it, it can work both ways. So. That's what confession does. Confession brings your heart to the surface. It shows what your heart is really made of. Confession also brings conviction. Oh, wait, wait, before we, do, before we go there, sorry, sorry about that. Before we go there, I wanna tell a story straight from the Bible. I got an illustration straight from the Bible about saying the right thing versus saying the wrong thing. So we're gonna go to Luke 1. And, you know, we're right after, by now, Three Kings is over, so we're, we're right after Christmas and the holiday season, and everybody was hearing about all the, the Advent stories and all of that. Um, but there was also, like, the, the stories of um, the Immaculate Conception, um, Mary, and, uh, and when Elizabeth, her cousin, also became with child. There were a couple of things that happened that are totally in line with what we're talking about today, when we're talking about confession and saying the right words. So in Luke chapter 1, let's see, I'm going to just read it for you. I'm going to start at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. They were, they were both walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Okay, let's keep going. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. This is somebody who walked blameless. This was a priest in the synagogue, worked in the temple, did not believe the word of the Lord, did not believe, was scared when he saw an angel. You know, some people, it, it, it tickles me how many people come to church week after week and they say they want God, but they really don't want God. Because <laughs> when, 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 when the Lord comes in a room and, and there's a demonstration of his power, they're like, oh, Lord, something's wrong. It's spooky. And that was Zechariah. Zechariah's like, oh, this is spooky. You know, I'm just here to light the incense. I'm just here. <laughs> I just came to light the incense. I didn't come, you know, what is this? And then you're going to tell, and you know, and it was good news. All of this, this story about rejoicing about it, all he could think about is, how is this going to be? This can't be because I'm old and she's old and no. 
And that angel shut him up. And guess what? We all know, those, those of us who know the Bible story, he didn't say anything else until he said, and his name will be called John. He believed and made a believer out of him. He had to just sit there, couldn't say nothing. But then what I want to look at, you've got Zechariah, who is, you know, basically an elder. And then you've got little cousin Mary. And let's look at how Mary responded when the angel came to her. Let's go to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same angel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the, son of the house of David. And, virgin, and the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried, not to, dis excuse me, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And in humility, I'm, I'm and that's sorry, that's the gospel quarter, <laughs> Courtney, sorry. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then it goes on. Let's go to verse 38. I'm sorry. Let's go to verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And 38, Mary says this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So you've got same family, same family. This elder who doesn't believe and is silenced. And this young woman who says, be it unto me. 14 years old or so. According to historical accounts, she had to be around 14. Let it be it unto me. And oh, that can't be. How can this be? We old. So it matters what you say in response to the word of God. This is Gabriel. He said, I, he, I stand in the presence of God and I've come with a message from God. We have a message from God. We have this Bible. It's full of God's word. It's full of God's promises. It's full of good news. It's full of things that we can appropriate in our lives to bring to pass something great in our lives. If we would just speak the word and agree in agreement, it's not that you're speaking, you're, you're casting a spell from the Bible when you're saying the word over your life. You're just simply agreeing with what the word of God says. Anybody understand the difference? It's not about just it, it's not about just, OK, I'm going to take these scriptures and I'm going to speak them over my life. And it's hocus pocus in them. It's I believe this. I agree with it. And because I have it here, it's coming out here. And I will not say anything contrary to that because I believe it. No, you may not have been like silenced and shut up when you refuse to believe something, you know, from this book or from this word or something that came to your heart or whatever. You may not have been silenced by Ze like Zechariah was, but I'm telling you that <laughs> there's still a great impact when you are resistant to the word of God. When you don't agree with the word of God, there are consequences. And the ones that are most evident or most immediate is just that you don't have the fruit in your life. That by cho not choosing life, you have by default chosen death. So I'm going to go on to my next point. That was a long point for confession brings your heart to the surface. Okay, confession brings conviction. Confession brings conviction. So the end part of, um, so we, we looked at Luke earlier. And the end of that says this, you know, when Jesus finishes the whole thing about, you know, the good treasure and, and you know, in the, out of the abundance of their heart, the mouth speaks. In Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Confession brings conviction. Because when what you think or say doesn't line up with the word of God, there's still something in you that to, to remind you, man, uh, I, shouldn't be, I, I shouldn't do that. So let, let, me, let, me, let me explain. So like, let's say you're, you're really on this, like, okay, I'm going to watch my words. I'm going to be careful what I say. 
And then you just, you know, by mistake, you know, one of those things that just happened, you know, you just say something, you just prayed about, okay, I'm going to get a new car. I'm, I'm praying, Lord, you're going to line up the finances and in the right time, you know, that new car is going to manifest, going to come forward. I'm going to have my credit rate, all the things that you've been praying, the scriptures you found to go with it. And then next thing you know, you're at work, girl, I don't know when I'm getting a car. And all of a sudden, mm, you shouldn't have said that. You know there's grace. There's mercy. If you, if, if you say something that you know does not line up with what you really believe and who you really are and what you really want to do, you can take it back. You can take it back in that moment. You can repent. You can ask God to forgive you, whatever. But what the, my point is that when you begin confessing and you really understand what confession is, it's going to bring conviction to you. Because when your conviction is not, when your confession is not lining up with what, it, with what you've been praying and what you're believing God for, conviction will come whenever you say something that's the opposite. So confession can bring conviction. A struggle with it is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. So don't, you know, don't beat yourself up if you know, oh man, I, well, out the gate I have problems because I say one thing when I'm in church and I say one thing when I'm praying and then another thing when I'm actually in the situation. Well, it's okay. Just, just keep going forward. Just start saying the right things. Just be intentional in allowing what you say, what, how you live your life, and what you say to line up with what you believe. That's it. And then my next point is that confession brings convergence. Okay, that's a big word, Courtney. What does that mean? Basically, it brings everything together. Confession activates the salvation, the ongoing work of salvation and repentance in our lives. It brings our hearing and our doing together, and it unifies our understanding with corresponding action. So part of the doing, you know, you know, we talk about no, just be a hearer and, and be a doer as well. Part of doing is what you're saying. Because you, how many know you can't say, okay, <laughs> and this sounds crazy, but this is, this is what we do. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm, I, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to go and I'm going to feed the hungry. And then you go and you buy all this stuff and you go into, you, you know, getting supplies. And then people come and donate to you. I'm not going to feed the hungry. That's so stupid. I'm not going to feed the hungry. Even though you, like, that, that, that seems like, okay, well, who really does that? You do. You do. You and I, we both do. We, we, do, we, we do one thing. We say another. If we're not careful. If we're not living our lives intentionally to honor God and to and, and understanding the power of words, we can all do it. Maybe that wasn't the best illustration, but y'all know what I'm going for, right? So like it's possible to go through the motions, but then your narration of what you're doing is totally opposite of what you're doing. There's no alignment. It's confusion. You know, if if <laughs> If some kind of clinical professional overheard you, they would probably try to, you know, get you some counseling or some therapy, right, Angel? <laughs> like you can't just, you can't do that. You there, ha, there needs to be agreement. There needs to be agreement. If this is what you believe, if this is what you've been praying, why would you go and say something different? Sometimes it's just, I mean, I'm gonna tell you, I, I can't speak with, for everybody, but I know how we as women are. Sometimes you just frustrated. You want to vent. You want to get it out, right? But we even have to be careful with that. Because in that, that entitlement, that need to vent, girl, I just need to get it out. You could be messing up with all the stuff that you've been working on. All the stuff that you've been praying about. Because these seeds of unbelief and doubt are getting planted and sown and I mean are getting watered every time you say something contrary to the word of God. So part of doing is speaking the word of God. And confession brings conversions. It brings everything together. So this scripture, it seems a little bit unlikely, but I, I, if you bear with me, we read through it, you'll know what I mean. This is James 1, 19 um, through 27. So James 1, verses 19 through 27, hearing and doing the word. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to speak, slow to speak. Verse 20, for the anger, anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If it, now, now, now look here. Now we've been talking about hearing and doing. It started off with being slow to speak and some other things. But look at this. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So we, and then it goes to a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, this passage is going, it, it's going a lot of different places if you're not understanding the unifying theme. And it's about what you're saying. Let's look at this again. This is a stretch for some people. This is one of those passages we look at a lot. Hearing and doing the word. We already said that part of doing is speaking the word, right? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then it talks about the anger of man. Then putting away the sin and receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word. So there's a couple of things there. Receive the word, be a doer, and not just a hearer only. If you don't do it, you'll deceive yourself. If you don't say it, you'll deceive yourself. There needs to be a convergence of all of this going on. You hear it, you do it, you say it, you are it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and then it goes on to what we just said, you forget who you are. If you're saying one thing and doing another, I mean, I'm sorry, if you're hearing one thing and agreeing with that, but doing another and saying another, there really is no agreement. There really is no confession. You know what? Your whole life is your confession. The way you live is your confession. What people see, whether you're speaking or not, is your confession. You're always testifying. You're always witnessing to who you are and to what you believe. And if you're doing things or saying things that don't line up with that, something is wrong. There will be no, well, there will be fruit, is what we just saw, right? There will be fruit, either death or life, life or death. So it's, it's important to think about these things and understand these things and be intentional in our walk with Christ. One more thing I wanted to highlight, though, in um, James 1, verse 27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit with orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, that scripture we saw earlier from Hebrews 1. I'm going to read it for you. Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You can uphold yourself and keep yourself unstained from the world by the word of his power. By not being angry and saying angry things. Because, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's important. What we're saying is important. What we're saying is important. It is not possible to pray. That's why we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for them. Because if you're really praying for your enemies, when you understand the connection between what you're saying and what you're praying, then you're not so easy to go out here and start talking about, oh, I can't wait until she gets what she... Well, you just prayed for her. You just, you just prayed for her, and now you're just like, no connection, disconnect. There's a term... Socio-psychology that I love to say all the time, cognitive dissonance. And I don't want to go too far. I'm finished now with my notes. I'm just going to flow a little bit, but that's all right. You know, I'm going I'm to take a minute and speak out of abundance of my heart. I'm sorry. 
because it's just on my mind, you know. Me too, church too, mute R. Kelly. I just got to say it. I got to say it. I, I'm so grateful because um, now the church has church too, the hashtag church too movement, which is great. I think that's wonderful. But this is what I want to say is that we have a tendency in this society to be deceived. We deceive ourselves. Oh, he would, you know, oh, I can still listen to this because he wasn't doing that. Oh, it's all, I'm voting for him because he's the best choice because he's, that's God in the White House. Come on, some. <laughs> I know I can't go there. Cognitive dissonance. We are deceived. We say one thing, we do another. We see one thing, we choose to see another. I'm telling you today that you can start the work of the, of, you can stop the disconnect and start the connection to being faithful to God and faithful to yourself and seeing that faithfulness and that integrity in the way that you view the world and you view others by just having integrity within yourself. If you're going to pray one thing, keep saying that thing. If you're going to pray something, don't go over here and undo it. Because what's really, what's really true is you didn't believe it when you prayed it. It's not about, oh, well, you, I just undid what I prayed. No, you didn't believe it over there. That's why you're saying what you're saying over here. The true, con the, the continuum, the connection between the, the mouth and the heart and the mind and the spirit and all of that, it's, it's continual. It's like a circle. So it's not ending here, but because it started here, it's over here, it's evident that this was never what you thought it was, if that makes sense. So it's a matter of life and death and the heart. Choose life. Make a choice. It seems like so much. Well, Courtney, where do I start? Because I want to I, I, I wanna, I have integrity with what I'm saying and believing God for. And I don't want to be over here saying or praying one thing and then, you know, spending all of my time talking about how it's not going to happen. One step at a time. Just one choice at a time. Choose life. Walk in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to pray. Pray in the spirit. Read your word. It's kind of hard to have your heart crowded out by the stuff that's in this world when you're continually sowing the word into it. What you continue to put here and read, that's why, you know, that's why the Bible, I mean, excuse me, that's why the enemy attacks us so much on our Bible reading plans in this church. I'm going to be honest. I'm not caught up on my Bible reading. I'm not. I'm not. Now, I mean, is that, is that meant to be like bondage? No, but the importance is this. What are you going to be feeding your heart with? It's fine if we do the Daniel fast and we eat all the things that we're supposed to eat, but are you praying with it or is it just a diet? Are you reading your word or is it just a diet? Are you really taking time off of social media or is that filling your heart? So whenever, you know, you pray and then you start confessing, uh, when you go out, everything you're saying is what you've seen on social media and not what you've seen in the word because you haven't spent any time on the word. So this is where we are today. Just choosing life. One choice at a time. I'm going to choose life. This, in this moment, choosing life means that I'm going to pray in the spirit. Choosing life right now means that I'm not going to engage in that phone conversation. Choosing life right now means that I'm going to walk out of this room and I'm going to take my lunch break and I'm going to, you know, eat my salad and read my word. And when I come back, then I can talk to you. It's what we do every day, all day long. Resist the temptation to compartmentalize and think that. I can be this way here and this way there and this way there. Seek to have a unifying theme throughout your life to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, you are so merciful and so good to us. Thank you for shining your light so that we can see clearly. I pray, Father, that each of us would take what has been said today and apply it to our lives in a way that can bring you glory. Lord, that we will continue to build your kingdom with our words, that we'll continue to build each other up with our words and not to tear each other down. Lord, that most importantly, we won't deny you in public, but then in our prayer closet say that you are Lord, but that wherever we go and whatever we do, that we're remembering that you're, you're the same and you have all the power and all power belongs to you and that you've given us the same power. 
Lord, thank you for what you've given us, the ability to do greater works, even then when Jesus walked the earth. Thank you, Lord, for the greater one being on the inside of us. And we pray, Lord, that we'll be able to honor you even the more with our words, with our confession, with the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.